Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we have a conversation about the state of higher education in general and at the University of Missouri-St. Louis in particular. Joining me in studio are UMSL Chancellor Tom George and Kristen Sobolik, the Provost and Executive Vice-Chancellor. They were both excited by the news earlier in the day that Professor Emeritus George Smith of the University of Missouri-Columbia had won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. It was pretty cool, huh, having a Nobel laureate in the University of Missouri system? Oh, I'm ecstatic. I mean, uh, you know, that reflects on the whole system. Granted, it is uh, someone retired from the MU campus, but, it, you know, I just couldn't be more delighted about that. And that's, it's great for the whole state of Missouri as well. It just, it just puts us even more on the map. And, of course, it's in your field, which makes it even uh, more pleasant. Right. I mean, it's the chemistry prize. I would say that uh, George Smith is as much biologist and biochemist as chemist. Uh, he kind of covers it all. I mean, it's you know, a remarkable man. Now, Kristen, maybe you're a good luck charm. You've been here only a year and a half, and we already have a Nobel Prize in the system. I think that is fantastic news, but I don't think it has anything to do with my um, being here in the uh, University of Missouri system. Well, we're delighted to have you here, and uh, good to have you. We'll see you many more times, I'm sure. Tom, let me go back to you, because the last time we talked, it was not a, a really good conversation in the sense that what we were talking about were cuts and hiring freezes and uh, difficult times for the uh, university. I gather, however, that things are turning around fairly well. Well, at the time we talked uh, about three years ago, we were undergoing some major cuts because our revenues were not matching with our expenditures, and the expenditures were getting a little too large. Uh, so we've matched them now, and yes, we have stabilized the budget, and now for the last two years, we've actually had a surplus you know, going into the next fiscal year. What we're working on now is, with a stabilized budget, is growing resources. So we want to get ourselves back to where we were three or four years ago. We've lost about 1,000 students. We want to get those students back. And there's some other ways that we can help ourselves get the revenue back to where we want it to be. How do you explain the surplus? Uh, the surplus is uh, good spending, uh, doing efficiencies, uh, you know, m- making making uh, cuts where you have to make cuts, but it's not been because of doing layoffs. I mean, we had to do that three years ago. We're not we've not had to do that now. So I'd say it's really prudent expenditures. And Kristen, you come in at a time when you're really looking ahead. There's a strategic a strategic plan out there now, uh, and you're going to be overseeing that, as I understand it. Give us some sense of uh, what that plan will involve. Yeah, our strategic plan is we have moving forward. We're very excited about it. It's good timing. It reflects what where we want to be and what we want to do and focus on over the next five years. Now, that, of course, focuses on our people and on our students in particular. We have a compact for student success where we would like to increase not only the number of students that we have on campus, which will help our region as well, but also on their particular success with regards to graduation rates and retention. How do you achieve it? It's one thing to (laughs) declare what you want to do and uh, what you want to have done, but how do you achieve it? I think we keep on the same trajectory that we've been on. We have increased our six-year graduation rate by 15 points over the last few years, and we've also increased our retention rates for all um, level of students, including our Pell-eligible students and our underrepresented minorities. So we absolutely need to keep on the same um, trajectory, but also double down with regards to the things that we've found that have been successful. 
Tom, as I understand it, community outreach is a, is a big part of this plan, along with several other components. Right. In fact, that's mm-hmm. one of the compacts, one of the five compacts. And that's something that we already do very well. And you know that, Don. Yeah. Uh, not just from interviewing me and Kristen, but all the wealth of people that from around the campus that you interview. But that's part of our charge. We're part of the land-grant university system. And part of that is to be an anchor in our, in our region and to reach out to the community. And I tip my hat to the faculty and staff that uh, do this. Yeah. Uh, planning over a five-year period can be uh, difficult at times. How do you go about that? Well, first of all, you come up with a set of uh, what we call them actions and goals, but you have to recognize that you need flexibility. Uh, I've been through now several strategic plans, either four- or five-year plans, and on an annual basis, at least, you look at the goals, you look at how you're doing, and you can make adjustments. So nothing's in stone. Sometimes you have underestimated what you can do. Sometimes you've overestimated. So there will be adjustments as we go along. It, it is difficult to say five years from now, this is precisely where we're going to be. Yeah, you have to be flexible, Kristen. No, no question, because things can change uh, quite uh, dramatically and quite quickly. I agree with that, and I think flexibility is absolutely built into our strategic plan to make sure that we are going to be adapting to some of the parameters that we don't understand right now, to the directions that we need to take for our students' success, and to make sure we're reallocating and allocating our um, our resources into areas of growth, strength, and excellence. How are you going to uh, fill that deficit of 1,000 students? Uh, mm-hmm. That uh, mm-hmm. You want more than that, obviously, but how do you mm-hmm. go about that? Well, the main thing is I think it is important for our region that we do that. We're aligning with the regional chamber in their um, parameters for increasing the number of educated St. Louisans in in this area. But we focus on not only recruitment but specifically on retention to make sure the students that are coming to UMSL actually get the services and the help that they need to stay here. And given that our student population tends to be older and um, they come from a wide variety of backgrounds, we're about um, access and success for our students, we need to make sure that we have those um, support services in place for them so that they can be successful and walk across that stage. And, Tom, the reason the regional chamber is uh, is interested in this is because they want those students to stay to become employees. And they That's, do, don't they, they? Well, particularly from um, – so I'll just put a little push in for the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Uh, our students do tend to stay here in St. Louis. But I do also want to do a shout-out for all of higher education in St. Louis. As uh, the provost mentioned, this is a collective effort. Uh, about five or six years ago, the regional chamber identified about 400,000 adults, and you can decide how you want to classify what is an adult, but an adult that had partial uh, degrees, if you will. They didn't have the whole 120 credits to get that particular degree and said collectively, let's work on this and let's see if we can get that number down. I think it's about 700,000 across the state, but over half are right here in St. Louis. And we are whittling down on that one. And this is all the institutions, public, private, and uh, two-year as well as four-year. That says a lot. Yes, that's absolutely. An, that's, an, that's an important number. Yeah. We're going to have to take a break momentarily, but is there anything else about the strategic planning specifically that you want the audience to know before we go in a different direction? 
Well, what I like about the strategic plan is it really focuses on what we already do and what we're known for. And basically, we transform lives. And we not only transform the lives of our students, but also the faculty and staff that we have at the university. So it's been a real pleasure to work with that group to put forward our plan for the next five years. Well, it never stops, does it? Uh, You're all (laughs) going to be busy for a a good long time to come. Let's take that break now. We'll be back in just a moment to continue our conversation about what's going on at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. With me in studio is Tom George, who is the chancellor, and Kristen Sobolik is the provost and the executive vice chancellor. Back to continue the conversation. If you'd like to be a part of it, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you would prefer... Send us a tweet at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. We have a special announcement today. Just this morning, we rolled out a special Facebook group focused on St. Louis on the Air. If Facebook is your preferred social media platform and St. Louis on the Air, your go-to talk show, this new group is a great place for you to join our conversation. Search St. Louis on the Air on Facebook to request membership in the group and get started engaging with other fans of the show as well as with our producers. Now back to Tom George and Kristen Sobolik of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You know, that last item there with regarding our, our Facebook group, Tom, uh, raises the question in my mind as to what today's digital world is doing to higher education? Well, it's uh, obviously we have to roll with the times and help lead with the times as well. Uh, we're increasing our online instruction uh, where people are getting their instruction basically facing a computer. But also if you look at our marketing and commun- communications area, which is the discipline that you're in, uh, you know that that's that's something that we have to keep up on as well and you know we look at different modes whether it's facebook uh, whether it's you know twitter or you know just electronic communications by internet uh, but certainly it's uh, it's affected higher education no question about that one of the uh, one of the issues major uh, in in college uh, life today is being crisis ready kristen Many, too many stories about uh, situ- violent situations on campus. Where, where is UMSL in this regard? I think so. UMSL is in a good place with regards to being prepared. I'm not sure that every, anybody is ever totally prepared, but I think that we have good communication amongst our leadership team and with everybody that needs to, in essence, deal with a situation as it happens. So I feel good about our team. Uh, I hope that we are ready and we are absolutely aware that um, there are a lot of different pernicious issues out there of which we need to keep on top of. Tom, this must be the kind of thing that would keep someone like yourself and Kristen uh, awake at night. You know, I never think that I'm on top of everything and that uh, I have encountered everything. 
it's, it, it is amazing what can happen that uh, you try to be as prepared as possible. And certainly we take it very seriously. Uh, when we went through all those budget cuts uh, th- you know, three years ago, the one area we did not touch was security or our police on campus. And in fact, we even increased the resources there. So this it's something we take very seriously. I think it's very effective being a part of the system myself. Uh, if ever there's an incident or something that is suspicious, my cell phone is telling me, you know, be careful, something is going on out here. Uh, yes. That's, that's very important. And we, have, and we periodically have training. I mean, Kristen and I have participated with other leadership in the university with training, uh, you know, going through uh, different kinds of potential scenarios, you know, like an active shooter, for example. Yeah. Kristen, you come into this uh, system, uh, was it May of 17? Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, you come from someplace else. When you come into a new system like this, uh, what do you look for? What What do you see and what action do you take? Say, gee, I think we could do this better because old eyes, and forgive me, Tom, old <laughs> eyes looking at it may not see the same thing you do. I think it is interesting to come into a different situation because you do see things from different lens. And the way that I've described it is taking a look through a kaleidoscope and turning the kaleidoscope one click and all those tiles fall into place in a different way. And so the strengths that this institution has may be the weaknesses of a of a previous institution, but then you can help um, problem solve what's going on on the ground here at um, like the University of Missouri mm-hmm. St. Louis at your new institution. What did you see when you came in and you thought maybe <laughs> maybe we can work on this? Well, the reason I'm here is because the people were wonderful, and I loved our students. They were just very engaging and open, and that's the reason that I'm here. But if everything was, um, you know, fantastically perfect, then there wouldn't be anything for provosts to do. Mm. So it is fun that there are things for me to do that I can work on with these, um, you know, great people that we have and do team building and do what's in the best interest of our students. Well, what exactly does the provost do? (laughs) (laughs) That is a good question. I just had, um, was it just last week, I had pizza with the provost. And the first question that the students asked me was, what on earth is a provost? They came for the pizza. (laughs) They had no idea what the provost was. But the provost oversees all of the academic arms of the institution. So I have the privilege of working with our deans and with our faculty to create good programming for our students and what they want. We also oversee the research arm and our student life arm. And the provost gets to have the fun of the institution. Tom, um, we've all been watching these past days uh, what's been going on in Washington with the Kavanaugh hearings. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that it has done is really shown a light on one aspect of university culture that is not necessarily flattering. I would have to think that as an administrator, you you probably don't want to hear too much of that kind of discussion. Well, I mean, it it is what it is. And I would say probably there is less of that opportunity on our campus, which is largely commuter. Uh, we still have about mm-hmm. 1,300, 1,400 students that live on campus and then another maybe 1,000 around the campus. But it is something that we take very seriously and uh, we, you know, our student affairs division is outstanding and uh, we we get reports regularly from our police department of incidents that are happening and we try to get on top of things immediately. But it's, it, is, it is higher education. And, you know, when there are issues that happen, the administration has to take very fast and corrective action. You can't lay back and say, well, this will resolve itself. That doesn't happen. Would you agree, Kristen, this is something that uh, you don't like to see such a bright light shown on as it has been in the recent uh, days? 
You know, I I guess I'm not necessarily, I think it's okay to shine a bright light because when you shine that light, then you can illustrate the problem and hopefully then correct it. We obviously need to have some of that correction, not only in higher education, but in our society. And I think then that light will be important. Right. We have uh, some uh, some questions coming in from our listeners. Uh, Dan writes uh, on Twitter, he asks, what is UMSL's plan for all of its abandoned properties? Surrounding communities are thrilled to see new construction like the Optometry Center, but concerned about beloved buildings like the former Incarnate Word Convent, Alumni House, and Fraternity Homes on Natural Bridge. Uh, excellent question, and that's a concern to us as well. We are methodically looking at all these properties. Uh, certainly, uh, Normandy Hall, which is right next to Incarnate Word, is something that ultimately we want to either do something with it or take it down. Uh, you know, sometimes just simply taking it down uh, it takes more resources than you realize, and particularly if there's asbestos and and other things. But you know, we are looking at uh, at the properties that are empty, and we have we're getting ideas from people of what to do. I wish we could move more quickly on this, but uh, we are taking it seriously. You know, some of the things I've read recently, Kristen, would indicate that there's a lot of competition among colleges and universities for for students, and this is causing. A lot of money to be spent on facilities that maybe aren't necessary, totally necessary, giving some campuses a kind of a country club uh, look, if you will. That's not going on at UMSL, but am am I right in what I read or, or understand? Well, I think, you know, what you say, too, that there is some competition among institutions, and we have a decreasing demographic with regards to high school students. But again, getting back to what we had talked about previously, in St. Louis, we have a lot of people that have some college education but need more um, in order to attain a degree. And so we want to be focusing on those students, and I think that will be for the betterment of UMSL, but particularly for the betterment of St. Louis. You know, speaking of competition, Tom, um, uh, there was a list out yesterday, I guess it was, in, in which St. Louis was listed as number two, I think, in the country in terms of a, a, a great spot for entrepreneurs. Is the entrepreneurial spirit in St. Louis competition for uh, universities? Well, there is competition, but I'd say uh, that's one area where we see a lot of cooperation. I'll just give you an example, and that's the Cortex region. You know, Cortex was uh, founded by University of Missouri, St. Louis, Washington University, St. Louis University, and BJC, and partnering with the city and with the Missouri Botanical Garden, and it's just taken off. And that's definitely an example of institutions collaborating and cooperating on entrepreneurship. We each individually have programs in entrepreneurship, and we started uh, basically an incubator in conjunction with Ameren there, which other institutions are participating in. In fact, not just here in St. Louis, but uh, Missouri University of Science and Technology, University of Missouri at Columbia and Kansas City are participating in this as well. If you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, it's probably a good idea to be well-educated. I suppose that goes without saying, right? Well, that that <laughs> helps. I mean, everyone likes to – well, not everyone, but people point to Bill Gates as having not finished college and certainly a great entrepreneur. But, yeah, we, we would say that uh, your, your chances of being successful are going to be higher – with a with an academic degree. One thing, Kristen, I think many people don't fully understand or appreciate is that UMSL has a pretty good reputation as a as a research center. It's not often thought of in that light. What exactly is going on at the uh, school? 
Yeah, well, UMSL is one of the four public research universities in the state of Missouri. We are in Tier 1, and we have high research on productivity, which puts us in the very top um, tier of all academic institutions across the nation. Our research, I would say, is very vibrant, and, and that's important not only for our students, but for our community and the nation, because we're generating new knowledge. Well, I was about to ask, what difference does it make if a university or, or college is a, a research uh, center? Uh, well, you know, we, we, we liked the fact that our faculty are on the cutting edge of their disciplines. And that means they're not only teaching and imparting knowledge, but they're actually developing it. And actually, we have many programs on campus where not only graduate students, but undergraduate students participate in the research projects, and that's part of the educational experience. So it gives you the complete experience when you have research and engagement tied in with what would be more traditional teaching. We have uh, more questions coming in uh, via email and uh, Twitter, and uh, one writes here, I understand there's a new chief transformation officer at the university. Is that the result of the new vision to transform lives? Oh, transform lives. Well, actually, that is uh, our mission statement is to transform lives. And, you know, I give credit to the provost and her team for uh, coming up with that one. Yeah, we have a chief trans transformation officer. Yeah, the, the word has changed several times. That's Rick Bonyak. Rick Bonyak is our CFO, and he's our vice chancellor for finance and administration. And in that role, he's looking at how we can do things a bit more out of the box, how we can be more entrepreneurial with administration. He's working not just with our campus but the other campuses part-time in that role. And uh, he's he's actually come up with a new way of approaching budgeting that's at a five-year span as opposed to a one-year span. So mm-hmm. these creative ideas that he's developed here at UMSL we're, we're putting into place across the system. Thinking out of the box is has uh, is, is got to be important in today's fast-moving world, Kristen. Oh, <laughs> is that a rhetorical question yeah, or a pretty statement? Much, pretty much, yeah, yeah. I agree with you, yeah, Don. Okay. Let's uh, take another question here. What's the situation with adjuncts who teach so many courses at universities, including UMSL? These, what's the situation these days? Are they well compensated and appreciated as they should be at UMSL? Mm-hmm. Are they unionizing? Kristen? Yeah, I don't know about um, the question about unionizing, but I think adjuncts are an important um, part of our faculty role at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, as it is across, as they are across the nation. And you'll see that, I guess, I think on average across the nation, sometimes up to 70% of classes are taught by adjuncts, particularly when you add in the community college rank. Um, at UMSL, we have less than 50% of our courses are taught by adjuncts, and they are absolutely vital and important. I think we have a couple of different types of adjuncts. One that could be experts like you, Don, that could come in and adjunct for a course and talk about, um, you know, uh, about interviewing techniques or about journalism today in our society, and you would be absolutely most welcome. And we have other adjuncts that absolutely are making a living um, being an adjunct and focusing Mm -hmm. in a particular area. Unionization, Tom, seems Mm -hmm. to be a growing trend in higher education. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, Well, it it, it exists. And, and, uh, you know, in in many cases, I think it actually is good. Uh, On on our campus, uh, parts of the staff 
uh, are, are unionized. Uh, there was some discussion about potential unionization of different areas of faculty, whether it's adjuncts or whether it was tenure, tenure track faculty. It, mm-hmm. At this point in time, we're not. I think, you know, we, we're trying to be very mindful of how we treat our employees and, uh, you know, how do how do unions come about? Well, it's fair treatment of your employees, particularly from those in our administration. And, you know, we work on that as hard as we can. Yeah. Uh, another listener writes, exciting things are happening at UMSL, including the creation of new Community Innovation and Action Center. Can we hear more about the strategic plan for community engagement? We are really excited about the creation of the Community Innovation and Action Center, which is actually an evolution of our public policy research center. And in fact, I think you know, Don, that they're going to part of them. They're going to be housed here at UMSL at Grand Center, so that we can provide access that important access for our community partners. Yeah, so right. we are we are very excited. It really um, points to our mission, um, our community engagement mission. And we're excited to have them here. But what exactly is it going to do? Mm-hmm. They are going to bring to what they do is they bring together our community partners and our nonprofit organizations so that they can have greater impact for our community. They, in essence, see the bigger picture on particular projects and areas of support that are needed, and they in essence, bring groups and people together to provide that necessary support. One of the uh, big hot-button issues in the country today, and certainly applies to colleges and universities, is the issue of gender equity, Tom. Mm -hmm. Uh, How is the University of Missouri-St. Louis dealing with this issue? Well, we do look at it, particularly in the area of salaries. Uh, We do look at that and try to make adjustments as necessary. Uh, if, If you actually look at our student body, we're about 60% women, uh, 40% men. Uh, so just by definition, we have more women than men on campus within the student body. Uh, in terms of uh, women in the faculty ranks, we actually look pr- relative to other institutions. We look uh, pretty good uh, in terms of percentage of women that uh, hold either tenured or tenure track faculty positions. But it's, it's something we take seriously. We have a center for gender studies that uh, keeps us on track. Mm-hmm. We only have about a minute left or a little bit more. Kristen, I'll ask you the challenges as you see them uh, moving forward. I think the main challenges are within ourselves, in essence, being prepared for some of the changes that are already happening and will continue to happen within higher education. The challenge of making sure that we're not only serving our students and what they need, but our communities, because change is happening and we need to adapt. Tom, same question to you. With regard to challenges? Um, well, I, the, the challenges are not going to stop. I think the question is how do we, how can you respond to challenges and make the institution even stronger? So I think that's what we always try to look at. Is there a different direction we can go in to, to meet the challenge and then come out better at the end? And that's what the strategic plan is all about, really. Um, is that, That's it, what we're it, counting on, yes. Okay. Well, I want to thank you both so much for being with us and uh, talking about some of these issues. It's certainly one of the most important institutions in our community. And I thank you, Kristen Sobolik, for being with us, and Tom George, Chancellor at the University of uh, Missouri-St. Louis. Thank you. Thank Great you, talking to you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.